0: Thanks for pressing play. Pretty much the whole world has been going through a tough time lately, and uh, some of us have suffered some pretty meaningful despair. Now, the word despair comes from the Latin, a Latin word that means down from hope. You may have heard that diseases of despair, which are things like substance abuse, alcohol dependency, suicidal thoughts and behaviors, are uh, on a big rise. As a matter of fact, according to the medical journal BMJ, diseases of despair have soared in the United States over the past decade, rising 68% between 2009 and 2018. The study also shows suicidal thoughts and behaviors were up 70%. And all of that was, of course, before COVID. And by the way, if you want to dig into the study, uh, visit Lockhead.com and uh, you'll find click-throughs in the show notes. But as you know, despair doesn't have to mean defeat. Our guest, Eric Jorgensen, is an extraordinary man. His son, William, was born with significant disabilities. You'll hear about those. And while Eric was serving in the United States Navy in some of the toughest places on planet Earth on aircraft carriers and submarines. His wife, Christine, was William's primary caregiver. When Eric retired from the Navy in 2012, he was very much looking forward to coming home and designing a new life with his family. What you're about to hear is the extraordinary tale of how Eric's life turned to tragedy, the horrible suffering that he endured, and the painful events of Eric and William's life, most recently in 2020. You'll also hear, however, how this real American hero transformed unbearable despair into triumph. This is a deeply human conversation, and it's not a heavy conversation. Uh, at times we do cry during this conversation, and you might too, but know ahead of time, this is a deeply uplifting dialogue you're about to listen to uh, about finding a real meaning in life. It's a conversation about love and designing your own category and business out of a desire to make a difference for others. I think you're going to be stunned by Eric's humanity. I know I was. This is Christopher Lockhead. Follow your different. And my friends at NetSuite are the leaders in ERP for growing businesses. Check out NetSuite.com slash different today. That's NetSuite.com slash different. My friends at Splunk are the world leaders in data to everything. Visit Splunk.com slash D to E. And I wanted to tell you about a brand new magazine, Podcast Magazine. Uh, You know, we're growing up as an industry when we get our own magazine. And it's for listeners uh, and people who love podcasts and podcasters. And as a listener to this oddcast, you can get a free lifetime subscription. So check out podcastmagazine.com slash free and sign up today. Now, hey ho, let's go. Well, I'm stoked to meet you, and I'm stoked to dig into your life. You've had a pretty extraordinary year, best I can tell.
1: It's been interesting.
0: Yeah, so why don't you take me through it?
1: For the year, it started, uh, and I don't know if I, so I, when I originally reached out to you, I shared about the cancer diagnosis. Before that, in February, my son actually had surgery. So my son has had a concave sternum where his... uh His chest was pushed on his heart and lungs. And as I mentioned, he's on the spectrum. He's got some other challenges, some other disabilities. So in February, he had a titanium rod put in his chest to push his sternum out. And we spent three or four days in Children's Hospital down in D.C. And then in in March, because, you know, that's not enough to get 2020 started. In March, I had cancer where they literally took off the left side of my face. And, you know, the, the surgeons were amazing. You know, I I was um, released the same day because this is right when COVID was getting started. And frankly, I was uh, too chicken shit to stay in the hospital. So I asked them to let me go home. So they, you know, I, I was on the table for six or seven hours. They took off the left side of my face, got rid of the cancer. I'm cancer free. And then, uh, you know, and then in July, I decided that I was going to launch my own business and separate from financial services altogether. And that's when I launched Special Needs Navigator to help families navigate the maze of benefits, resources, and services as it relates to disabilities. So that's been, you know, the year in a snapshot, a little bit going on.
0: Yeah. So when you first emailed me, I read the email three times. And then to make sure I wasn't insane, you know, because let's face it, I drink a lot. I, I said to my wife, Carrie, I said, David, can I read this to you? I want to make sure. I want to make, like. I want to make sure I'm reading this right. And I got to the. I read her your whole n- message, which was un- unbelievable. Had me in tears, Eric. And I got to that part, and she said, "What?" And I said, "Yeah." And I reread it. So, what does it actually mean to have them take off the left side of your face? What does that mean?
1: Um, it's hard to to describe. The, the surgeon said she gave me a, a facelift. So, you know, I had, a, I had a tumor, a nodular melanoma underneath my left eye, you know, about the center of my face, left side of my cheek. So they cut from the bottom of my left ear, up underneath my eye, down along my nose, down to the bottom of the left side of my mouth. And then they just kind of drew a line straight across and took all of that off. And then they pulled my skin up and sewed it to replace what they had cut out.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it was, it was gnarly.
0: <laughs> it sounds gnarly as shit. It sounds seriously terrible.
1: Uh, I'll, um, if, if you want, I'm happy to send you a picture you know, of what, it, what I looked like after surgery. It's, it's not pretty. I mean, you can't tell now. My eye's still a little swollen, and, a, and it, it, um, it's still numb. And the doctor said it may be numb for a while. You know because it was pretty extensive surgery, but given the alternative, you know i' I'll, I'll take it. yeah, the
0: alternative was not a good answer, right
1: right so the the v a found it so i'm I'm a retired disabled vet. I was being treated by the v a the v a found it, and the um the doctors told me, you know we don't think I'm paraphrasing because I, I mean I don't remember everything that happened. it was kind of a whirlwind, but they said, you know we need you to get this treated right away." we're not sure that you're going to make it if you wait for the VA to treat you. So, you know, because I had Hopkins and the VA, uh, I just did all my stuff at, at the VA. Cause I live across the street from a military base and you know, it's simple. Um, but when they told me that that's when I turned around and, and went to Hopkins out, you know, which is about an hour away and started getting them treated. And uh, they were right because I, I had my surgery date. Before the VA had me scheduled for a consult. I mean, I kept both of them just to, frankly, whoever would see me first, I really wanted to get this thing taken care of. And the Hopkins had me in even before the VA ever saw me for the consult. So,
0: And how quickly after the diagnosis did you get the surgery, Eric?
1: Uh, about a month and a half.
0: And without it, very bad things would have happened to you.
1: Yeah, they... um. I guess nodular melanoma is pretty aggressive and it's fatal or it can be really fatal. It can be, you know, it can, it can be lethal.
0: And so essentially it's a, it's a tumor that was sitting a sort of plus or minus in the middle of your, your left cheek. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And they sort of cut a flap in your face, pulled the flap up or down, down maybe. Well, they just,
1: not even a flap. They just, uh, so imagine doing a flap and then just cutting it. So you take, You take the whole thing off.
0: Well, so this is going to sound nuts, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm looking at you. You have a face, (laughs) both sides, it looks like. And actually, your face looks pretty normal to me. So (laughs) when they take off your face, how do you get a new face?
1: (laughs) The, the, The way the surgeon described it, she said your skin is very flexible. So they just pull it up like they just pull it.
0: So they take what was I don't know your jaw skin at your jaw and they stretch it up to your yeah. eye and your ear.
1: Yeah, like the skin that's on your jaw, and your neck, and they just pull it up. Pretty bizarre.
0: <laughs> now, did you have a lot of loose skin on your neck hanging there, waiting to be used, or like? I,
1: <laughs> I didn't. How the fuck does this work, Eric? <laughs> I have no idea, Christopher. It was um, it was insane. I I, I you know I um, and I. I I just can't even imagine it. Right. It's, it's, you know, I look at the, I look at the after surgery pictures and it's, um, you know, like I said, it's pretty gnarly, you know, um, but yeah, she just, the way she described it is she just pulled it up and then, um, you know, did her thing, you know, and I don't have a, I mean, I have minimal scarring, which I think is a testimony to the surgeon. You can kind of see a difference on the left side of my face. But the way she did it, she said she um she purposely did it to follow my laugh lines or whatever, your 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 natural wrinkles in your face and she said she just did that. I mean, it's it's almost like an artist, you know what I mean?
0: Uh, would you mind telling me her name?
1: Yo, know, I'm blanking on it right now. I <laughs>
0: <laughs> Okay, well listen, she sounds like Picasso and it it's it is incredible. Uh I've known some you know, surgeons that did a lot of bone work. And I, I remember uh, a surgeon once telling me, don't have anybody work on your skeleton who's not a really good carpenter because that's what we're doing. And I was like, that's so primordial sounding, but I guess it's true, right? If you have some horrible bo- bone work that needs to get done. Um, but in, in this case, she was like an artist because, I mean, obviously you and I are not in the same room, but I can have a pretty good look at you and if i didn't if you didn't tell me i just, i wouldn't think anything of it
1: yeah it's it's amazing i'll i'll um if you you know you've got a pretty strong constitution i'm happy to send you the after pictures you know when i came out of the surgery um
0: i mean i hate to sound weird but i yeah i, I would kind of like to see them
1: <laughs> i have to remind myself sometimes cuz i'm like did this really happen you know what i mean
0: yeah and so what's the um When they take off half your face, uh, what's the recovery like, Eric, (laughs) particularly in a COVID environment where, you know, swinging by the hospital, to the doctor is not as easy as it would be normally.
1: So I didn't, um, I recovered from home. I had a drain in the back of my neck that um, was in for, I think, four or five days. And then I went, I had to go to the hospital, get the drain taken out because the drain comes in and it runs along the side of your face and then you know they took out two lymph nodes too so i had to go get all that checked out but most of it was just you know getting checked out virtually seeing my oncologist virtually he reviewed the tumor with me and told me that's how that's when i found out what grade it was it was a grade 2a and um i guess in the scheme of things are like four is really bad and you know, one would be zero or one be, would be good. So I was somewhere in the middle, but I didn't need chemo. I didn't need radiation. So and, and in terms of recovery, I got really lucky. You know, it was just a matter of taking care of my wound and, and letting it heal.
0: And excuse my ignorance, Eric, but if you were to compare me by way of example, somebody who's never been diagnosed with cancer and and yourself, you know, what's the likelihood that you're going to get cancer again versus, say, somebody like me who hasn't had it?
1: Again, um not a medical professional Christopher, but it's my understanding
0: um, I'm not either but Eric, I'll take a look anyway.
1: <laughs> it's, I it's, used
0: to this is a total total side note, but I used to have that on a pair of skis on my fat skis, I had a sticker and it said, "I'm not a doctor, but I'll take a look." <laughs> Sorry.
1: No good. All oh, good. Um I I believe so i have I have psoriasis, and they said because I have psoriasis, uh, that increases the risk I have for melanoma um, so you know to answer your question, I think I'm more at risk than you were, or you are, given that i I have the exist- other existing conditions but
0: not necessarily because of the tumor that you had in your cheek
1: right, right knock on wood that shouldn't be there should be nothing to come of that one
0: yeah well um awesome work. Congratulations. Way to go. And of course you're going through this at the beginning of COVID. And that will remind me when exactly the surgery was again, Eric,
1: March 29th. So really right at the beginning,
0: but at March 29th hospitals were starting to begin different protocols and things, right?
1: Right. The I doctors, mean, um, when I, when I was going in the doctor brought me in a week early cause they were alternating the, the doctors were alternating. So instead of having all the doctors on staff at once, they would have one doctor for a week and then they would be off for a week. So she wanted to make sure she was one to do the surgery. um, And she didn't want me to wait till the next time she was on cycle. So she just had me come in early.
0: Yeah, I see. So all of this takes place. And then the recovery, which I imagine uh, how long does it take before you begin to feel like yourself again?
1: (laughs) Probably a month, month and a half.
0: Yeah. And all that's taking place while COVID is beginning to escalate. And if we sort of bring our minds back to kind of the March, April, 2020 timeframe, I certainly remember uh, feeling like I was going to poop my pants multiple times. And there were reports out that said this disease could kill millions of people very quickly. And we just didn't know what we're dealing with. Right. Right. Um, and so it was a scary time in general, and it was a scary time to need medical services because, of course, so many of them were beginning to focus on the crisis. And so what's that like as you're dealing with post-op and, and recovery of this um, extraordinary uh, operation?
1: It was f- freaky. I mean, I um, I was scared to go to the grocery store. You know, I, I was... So I'm a single dad. You know, my son—I'm uh, my son's legal guardian. You know, he's 21, but I'm his legal guardian because of his disabilities. And all I could think about is, holy crap! You know, I, I know I've planned, but have I done everything I need to do in case I can't take care of my kid, or or what happens if I get sick on top of cancer? Right? I mean, if I get sick and I can't help my son out on his day-to-day stuff, what's going to happen? Who's going to who's going to do that for me? So. Uh, I mean, crapping your pants is, is a, a understatement with re- with how I felt on, on a lot of those days, Christopher. It was um, it was frankly, it was it was scary. I mean, I was I was scared out of my, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I'm just trying to relate in the best way that I can. So at the time. Of course, you are healthcare compromised because of this massive operation. Your body's going, recovering from shock, has to heal the whole thing. It's an extraordinary thing. So you are, by definition, you must be, I mean... You know how much time I spent in medical school, uh, but but, <laughs> but <you'll take laughs> I'm a look. assuming yeah, exactly. I'll take a look that you are you are immune compromised and certainly health compromised. Your body is in a massive recovery mode. You you wouldn't want to get the common cold in that situation if you could avoid it, right? Exactly. So there's there's you there's you being the caretaker of your son. And is your son and, you know, are his disabilities such that he's at higher risk were he to get uh, C-19?
1: Back then he was because he had also had that major surgery in February where they had put the rod in his chest. Um, And he was an inpatient for four days.
0: Okay. So now, you know, your life story just sort of gets as we open this thing, as we pop the hood on this thing. So, okay. Your surgery is in mid to late March. Yes? Yes. And so in February, what happens with your son? And what's your son's name? Remind me William. Of? William. My son's name is William. And so in February, what's going on with William?
1: He had, he had a, the doctor had concerns because his sternum, he has a, he was born with a concave sternum, meaning that the rip, the, the sternum was pushing against his heart and lungs, which limits his ability to do physical activity and things. Um, so they, they went in and they again a fascinating procedure they made incisions on either side of his chest they they put a rod in and it was curved so it goes in and then so the the curve the the curvature is is facing away from the sternum and then they flip it i had to google it to see what it looks like on youtube because i had no idea but they flipped it. And it I love that you can
0: up. YouTube anything today,
1: <laughs> right?
0: like from how to change a tire to how to do this fucking surgery. Okay. So Sorry. Keep, keep going, Eric. It's fascinating. <laughs> sorry. I, I don't know. I, I have been through so much shit in the last 16 months. I, I, I'm just when, when, when people get into these discussions, now I'm just at a place in my life where I just have to have inject some humor. I, I'm sorry. You'll have no, you, don't have, you,
1: you don't have to apologize, Christopher. I mean, I, I, th- I use humor appropriately or inappropriately a lot. I mean, I'm retired Navy from submarines. So you want to talk about inappropriate humor.
0: <laughs> you mean you've heard a few semen jokes in your life?
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Yes, well. So so they put they, they're putting in one rod in into William's chest, which they're I moving think
1: it's to two rods. I it's think two they, rods. I think there's one that pushes the sternum out and the other one anchors to the rib cage, if I if I understand the procedure correctly. It's gonna be in there for three years, and the purpose is to shape the bones so that when the rod comes out, the bones stay away from the heart and sternum.
0: And it's because essentially the way he sits and a function of his condition is such that he's, is he slouching down essentially and he's therefore putting pressure or no?
1: No, no, he was, this was a, a, this was just the way he was born. Some people are born with concave chests where instead of having your normal rib cage, um, some people their sternum is just, you know, inverted.
0: So it's just the shape of his sternum is causing this condition. Okay, The
1: the complication was because he's autistic, he's on the autism spectrum, he's autistic, you know, and he has intellectual disabilities, trying to get him to understand what the procedure was going to do. And then having him communicate to us when he's in pain, um, you know, because he's got a really high pain tolerance. And then I'm paranoid about letting him take a lot of pain meds because, you know, the addiction, the opioid crisis, I mean, all the other things, right? Uh, um, so that was, that was in February. He spent three days, four days in the hospital. They actually released him early uh, because the, dude, <laughs> the dude's a beast. He got up out of bed and did everything that the, that the, um, the therapists wanted him to do. They normally break it out over two or three days. He did it the first day, like climbing stairs. Like, I mean, the deuce of the animal.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, how's how's William today, Eric?
1: He's doing phenomenal. He's he's doing really really good. Um, you know, I, it does. It's it's been the the physical just seeing him now that his chest is normal, for lack of a better term it really made such a marked difference. Like I had no idea just how concave it was until it wasn't. And then, you know, now he, he's much more, I mean, he's not playing sports or anything, but he, he doesn't, um, he doesn't get tired just walking to the bus stop or, you know, things like that.
0: That's great. And so his physical capability is much improved. Yes, sir. And his posture and his range of motion and things along those lines.
1: Yeah, yeah, everything's really good, Christopher. It's it's exciting.
0: That, that is exciting, and you said in in several years they'll go back in and remove the remove the rods, and and then his body will have adapted, and and sort of uh, uh, the course of his growth will have changed in, enough that the the rods will be able to come out, and he he theoretically should be okay.
1: That's the way I understand it. Yeah. So the rods stay in place for three years. They pop them out and. Then it'll be life is you know going forward like nothing ever happened.
0: Well, God bless the medical <laughs> doctors and science. <laughs> right? I, I, here's all I can tell you about that I'm glad there were some people who were good at math and biology <laughs> because that sounds fantastic. I'm very, very happy to hear about both William's success and your success. And so, you're going through all of this as COVID is taking off, and so. Um William is compromised from a health perspective so are you and then this uh, you know it was I, look it's still fucking terrifying I it was it felt like it was more terrifying then because we didn't know as much it's the numbers today of course make it I don't know it's terrifying in different ways at different times let me say it that
1: way. yeah I'm not a fan you know I I definitely um I'm still hypersensitive to it right i'm still hypersensitive to making sure that if i go out i'm wearing a mask i mean i was pretty antisocial to begin with so you know me not going out to parties it's it's not killing me
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so maybe take me back a little um you mentioned that you're a disabled vet maybe tell me a little bit about
1: that um not a whole lot there to tell um you know, the, I have, I have, uh, you know, I mentioned psoriasis. So because of the psoriasis, um, any, the, the level of it that got me, you know, a 60% rating from the VA, uh, because it's grown into my joints and stuff like that. Meaning, uh, you know, arthritis and then, you know, hearing loss, you know, living underneath the flight deck of an aircraft carrier, or living on a submarine with the constant, you know, background noise, you know, you, you, uh, you get thing you you just pick up things, you know?
0: Yeah. You mean to tell me a submarine's not the most healthy place for your uh, for a young man to be?
1: <laughs> Shockingly no. Shocking.
0: And you know, and it's interesting, this is the kind of challenge that um I think a lot of us don't hear much about. We hear about the big dramatic injuries and and, and things along those lines, but you know, I have a, a couple of dear friends who are retired fire chiefs. And one of them has hearing loss in one ear and complete hearing loss in the other because of an explosion. Oh, wow. And so here's this incredibly uh, uh, strong, uh, physically active. uh, I think I'm not exactly sure how old he is, but probably early sixties, physically fit a bear of a man with a giant heart. Uh, You know, when you look up incredible man on Wikipedia, there's a, there's a picture of Chief Haas and yet he's got this problem and he has to stick handle around it and he does a very good job trying to deal with it. But the reality is it is a serious disability and a change in his life. And so there are these smaller D disabilities, I guess, that arise. And it sounds like, you know, you, you have a condition that you now have to manage through for the rest of your life.
1: Right. Right. And, and, you know, the, uh, the VA, I mean, the, yeah you know, to be fair the v a does take care of you when you get approved you know you can go for the health care the rules change I'm pretty happy the rules changed back in two thousand and sixteen, so my son will get my pension you know, or or a portion of my pension when I die so I mean the military does take care of us uh you know in my opinion, there's probably veterans out there that would disagree with me you know but i i I feel taken care of you know and, and i'm you know I'm glad I served and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go back and undo any of it. Does that make sense, Christopher?
0: Yeah, completely. Now, um, I know this might be challenging, um, and I don't want to go anywhere. You don't want to go, Eric. But maybe tell me a little bit about how you became a single a single parent.
1: Sure. If I pause or or anything, it's it's. Uh, I'm not against sharing. I just still. It's been eight years. I still get kind of um, choked up when I start talking about it. So when I was retiring from the Navy, uh, they have something called terminal leave, which is your last, you know, 30, 60, 90 days in the military. And that's the time for you to start transitioning to become a civilian job search, you know, just just getting things in place. And I say all of that because the day I was supposed to start my terminal leave, my wife and I were living in Connecticut with William. Who at the time was 12 years old. And uh, my wife was was his full time caregiver, doing everything for him. And uh, so I was. I had I had loaded my truck up. I was going to drive up to Connecticut to to uh, to go to a, a job fair because we owned a house in Connecticut. We were renting a house in Maryland. And I don't remember the exact time frame, but at some point, I came out to the living room, and I I um I found my wife having an altered mental state. I um. Got her to the hospital, and uh, I, I found out in the emergency room that she had had uh, six strokes. She uh, she lapsed into a coma that night, from which uh, she never recovered. The doctors told me they uh, at first the answer was we don't know why her heart is pumping out clots. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, the TV show House about a doctor who he comes in and he diagnoses really impossible diseases over the course of the hour show. For those of you that have seen house, that's what my life was like. I I was talking to between 12 to 15 doctors a day, you know, cancer, um, you know, oncologists, urologists, cardiologists. I mean, if there was an IST after their name, I, I mean, I literally had a notebook write down who i was talking to because i I couldn't keep track so about three four days into this they, they came out and told me she has this really rare autoimmune disease called hlh and i don't remember the you know million dollar name for it but they were really perplexed because it's it's normally a children's disease and it's normally diagnosed posthumously after the person dies so, again, that's testimony to the doctors, I think, that they were able to diagnose this, right? I'm incredibly glad that I was at uh, Walter Reed Hospital in Maryland, with, was where my wife was, because the doctors there were phenomenal. You know, they, 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 they diagnosed this thing, and then they started a treatment plan for it. And um, she started fighting the ventilator, and, and they were telling me, they had told me, so I guess a normal cat scan of the brain has all the ridges and you can see all these ridges. My, my wife's cat scan didn't have any ridges because of how much bleeding in the brain there had been and how much swelling there was. So, you know, they do something called like a medi- I think the term they use is medication vacation or sedation vacation. When they would, when they would take you off, the meds to see if you could come out of the medically induced coma to to see if you're responsive, and she wasn't. So um, I ultimately made the decision to take her off life support, and um, she died at seven fifty nine on April on April fourth, and then um, we buried her over Easter weekend up in Connecticut. So that's how I came to be a widow, a widower.
0: Thank you, Eric. Yeah. What, what year was it?
1: 2012. She was uh, 44.
0: And what's her name? Christine. Christine. Well, Eric, God bless Christine, you and William.
1: Thank you, Chris, sir.
0: And as somebody who's been in that situation... I don't know what it was like for you, but I know what it was like for us. So I'm sorry. Now you'll have to forgive me. Uh, A lot of people hear your story and can easily think, well, fuck. Fuck. How much one is one guy? How much is one family? Because I know it's not just you. You have a family. And you have friends who love you. And William. And of course, Christine. And so, a lot of people could look at this situation and go, how much is one family supposed to be able to take? And so, if, and again, I don't want to go anywhere you don't want to go, Eric. But the degree to which you're comfortable, what have you learned about dealing with life in these situations? Whether it's when you discover you have a disabled son, or then not that many years later, this horrible loss, and then not many years later, there again after William's surgery, your cancer, and then, of course, what Time Magazine has called the worst year ever, twenty twenty. So, as you synthesize all of that, what do you see?
1: I wish I could tell you I was this epitome of virtue and and I I came through it and head held high and and marching band and <laughs> nothing could be further from the truth, Christopher. When when I first learned of my son's diagnosis, this is back in. God, it must have been 2002, 2003. So there wasn't much known about autism back then, or at least not that that we knew. It was, <laughs> what the fuck did I do? <laughs> you know, how did I, did I do something that caused this? You know what I mean? And, you know, what are we going to do? What's out there? And this is where <laughs> my wife was amazing, right? I mean, I'm gone all the time because I'm active duty Navy. Um, on submarines, I, I was you know, underway a lot and when you're underway on a submarine, maybe it's different now. I can't imagine how it would be. You you're underwater. You don't have internet. You don't have phone. You don't have email. There's no communication. So my what about, way
0: you gotta have TikTok though. They gotta give you TikTok. <laughs>
1: What about porn? Is there porn? Oh, we won't go there. <laughs> there might have been a few magazines back in the day.
0: <laughs> Sorry, the the eight-year-old in me got out again.
1: Uh, so <laughs> no, my I mean my wife was amazing. She did all this research. She really became Williams' advocate. And, um, basically told me what to do and what not to do (laughs) because I would come home and, you know, if I tried to help and I didn't get her blessing first, I'd usually end up disrupting whatever she had going on. So she would, she would manage things and it was awesome knowing that I could rely on her and, and, you know, really just kind of go to work, come home. And, and I say, go to work, come home. That that's, that's leave On one day, come home three months later with no communication in between and and just know everything's been taken care
0: of. I've always found, Eric, with my wife that no communication for long periods of time (laughs) is uh, conducive (laughs) to a good relationship with her.
1: (laughs) I do remember, Christopher, my wife telling me, She's like, How long have you been home? I think it's time for you to get back underway. (laughs) (laughs) I think you need to get your ass
0: underwater again here, (laughs) big guy. Right. (laughs) So you're telling me submarines make for good marriages? (laughs) (laughs) In some ways. (laughs) That would be a a great book. The Submariner's Guide to a Legendary Marriage.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) And I mean, you know, in in all due seriousness, though, it's... Like when, when everything happened with my wife, we were finally living together again. And, and um, because prior to that, from 2005 to 2010, I was what's called a geographical bachelor. So I would, I would come home every three or four months for two weeks or three weeks, and then I would be gone again. You know, I was on an aircraft carrier at the time, so we did a six six month deployment um, to the Persian Gulf, doing you know what what they do. And then I did two years in Gitmo, you know, Guantanamo Bay. The what was it? The best worst place or least worst place is what Rumsfeld said or whatever. But uh, so I was running the comms department in Guantanamo Bay, and and working everything in, on on that little. Portion of the base, and my wife was running things at home, and I was angry. I was I was so tired of being gone, right? I was so tired of of not really being with my family, not having enough, you know, just not being able to be a dad or a husband. And then I come home in 2010, and we're we're reconnecting because after five years, Christopher, I mean, I, maybe it's different for other people, but we struggled. I mean, it'd been five years with her living as a single mom, and me, you know doing my thing running two different households and then trying to bring those two households back together again it was a struggle um
0: and and you have a son with uh a lot of extra special needs right i mean raising kids last time i checked is a pretty serious thing and sometimes it has its ups and sometimes it has its downs but it's no joke of a job and you could argue it's it's Maybe the most extraordinary job anybody could take on. But regardless, it's a big job and an important job. And and you have a son who she's been essentially a single mother to for, you said, five years. Yes, sir. Um, yep. And so if your son was was normally abled, um, you know, there would be an adjustment for sure. Um, but this is also a, um, I don't know. A, the phrase in my head is a complicating factor, but I don't know if that makes me an asshole. But it's, oh, it's, 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 more, of, it's more of a challenge than, than a normal situation if, if your son had been normally abled.
1: Right, because, you know, she was helping him toilet and shower and, and just all the things, right? So then we're living together. So from 2010 to 2012, we're finally living together and we're making plans to go back to Connecticut and, and move on with our life. And then this shit happens where she gets sick. I can't tell you how freaking angry I was. I mean, I. I it took a while. I mean, and, and I don't mean like a couple of weeks. It took probably a year to two years of just so much anger, Christopher. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I'm a different person now. Um, I'm a very different person than I was back in 2012. Um, but yeah. It, when you ask how it felt, it, it, it made me angry. It, 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 um, and, and I'm going to say this and I, I, I can hear it in my, I can hear me saying life, you know, I, I can hear my counterpoint, but at the time I felt, you know, this just isn't fucking fair. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> you know, I mean, it just, I mean, you said, you alluded, you've said it earlier, right? Just how much, um, how many shit sandwiches are you going to give a guy?
0: Yeah. And and how much are you gonna how much pain and suffering are you gonna inflict on people that I love? Yeah. And and now we have to wake up every day and go, today's another fucking day, Christine's not here. Yeah. yeah and I mean, we have all the why her and not me. And yep. and it goes on and on and on and on, right?
1: Well, and you're spot on there, dude. I mean, I was deployed to some of the worst places in the world. <laughs> She's a stay-at-home mom. The risk factors are nowhere near the same.
0: Yeah. I understand. I mean, I don't understand your personal experience, of course. I'm, I'm trying to empathize best I can. And part of, of course, how we all empathize is we take our own experiences. And having been through horrible experiences and a, a seemingly unbelievable number of them in a very short period of time. I know how it has been for me and our family to deal with these things. And on the issue of anger. So our society is not good with anger. (laughs) And one of my dear friends over the last little more than a year or so, she said to me, you know, one of your superpowers is I've never seen anybody who can get as angry as you are and still be in control, and still not be a threat. Wow. And so, I was an angry kid. And I say this, people think it's a joke. It's actually true. Anger is my happy place. I understand me, and I understand the world when I'm fucking mad. And like, I'm really mad right now about some stuff. I'm furious right now at the ACLU. It's got nothing to do with this conversation, but the ACLU is currently working in California to have violent criminals released from jail. Violent criminals. Murderers, murderers, rapists, arsonists. They are currently trying to get uh, 1,800 of them released in Southern California in Orange County. And the sheriff of Orange County, after a judge's order as a result of an ACLU lawsuit, said, fuck you, I'm not doing it. Anyway, I'm angry about that, as you can tell. And I'm very angry at the ACLU. I used to support the ACLU. And they have lost their fucking minds. Anyway, what's my point? My point is, anger is my happy place. I understand myself when I'm angry. I understand the world when I'm angry. And one of my favorite expressions is, too many um, causes without a rebel. Like it. And anger gets me to move to action. When I'm angry, I take action. Anyway, long story way longer, Eric. I think being able to appropriately express and where required channel one's anger is one of the most important things about being a human being and one of the things that we rarely talk about. And so with all of that said, tell me about
1: your anger. (laughs) It wasn't always constructive. <laughs> um I definitely uh I the wrong people took the brunt of it um a few times and and that I'm I'm ashamed of um and I've I've tried to make amends for. Um uh, but to your point about channeling it, you know that was that was the whole drive, a, a big driving force into starting uh, starting a company, right? I mean, I didn't know. I mean, I shared this with you, and I, I I I feel so freaking naive for saying this out loud, but I didn't I didn't know I could start a company. I, I mean, you know, I <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, I told you this in in the message I sent you, but you gave me permission that it was okay to not be some Ivy leaguer. Mm-hmm. Nothing against them. But not being some Ivy leaguer going out there, you know, coming out with like, a, you know, um, and starting some Fortune 500 company out of my garage, right? I, I just had no freaking clue. Um, so I, when I retired from the Navy, I became a financial advisor because I thought they gave advice. I mean, I, I wanted to give people advice. I didn't want to sell products. I didn't want to manage money. Um, and that led to this is where the anger comes in again, because I would get frustrated, which I guess isn't anger, but, um, but I would get frustrated because the companies were doing exactly what they're supposed to do. You know, they hired me to do something, but I was getting frustrated because what I was being asked to do wasn't what I wanted to do. It wasn't helping the people I wanted to help. It wasn't addressing the need I thought needed to be filled, but I didn't know what else I could do about it. So I just kept bouncing from financial firm to financial firm, trying to fit square peg round hole. Uh, and then I picked up your books. I'm like, well, geez, dumbass, let's <laughs> <laughs> start a company. <laughs> hey,
0: we could we could set our whole thing up ourselves. We could invent our whole
1: world that we want to invent. <laughs> I mean, like I said, as I say it out loud, I'm like, God, dude, you're so freaking naive. <laughs> but <laughs> no, but isn't that interesting?
0: Because I think many of us, myself included, look, I needed permission too. There were two guys early in my life. Um, this guy Bix Bixon, who uh, uh, we had on the podcast back back in the early days. Actually, I should see if I could get him back. And then that was more on the personal side. He was a he was he was leading a personal training pr- a program that I took at 18 years old, and I'd never seen somebody who was so self expressed and so outrageous and so fun. Uh, but at the same time, on his game, he wasn't a clown or a buffoon. He was over the top, but he was fucking the man. And I was like, hmm, that sort of, you know, every once in a while, God taps you on the shoulder and goes, hey, pay attention over here. eh? And then for me, a couple years later, once I started a company, you know, for the first few years, I was in business, Eric. I, 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 I played the role of what I thought a business person was or an entrepreneur was. So I was acting, essentially. And then I saw this guy named Larry Debover, who who um, was a guru at a conference and he was a tech guru, like deep tech shit. And he got up and he he was a Vietnam vet, by the way, and he had a big fucking scar on his face from a gnarly situation in Vietnam. This Larry was no joke. And, and he was a good looking guy, charismatic. And he got up and fucking, and he wore, always used to wear suspenders back in the tie days. So he'd take his jacket off at the, and he had suspenders and his tie and a white shirt. And he'd be going off and yelling and swearing and calling certain vendors assholes. Cause they did this and you should use this database and whatever the fuck he was talking about. And I had just like the first time I saw Bix, I'd never seen anybody in this case, in a business context, just let it rip. And so long story way longer, those kinds of people gave me permission. I was like, oh, maybe I don't have to act. Maybe I can just let myself be myself. Well, what a concept that is.
1: Spot and on. So what did
0: you discover? Tell me about sort of the aha that has led you to the work that you're doing now.
1: So the, the aha, Christopher, was. I don't have to play in the in the pre-assigned categories of financial planning or estate planning. I can create my own freaking category. So I did, um, and I'm finding people really like it. I'm finding that that people it resonates with people, you know. So I create. I'm creating the category of special needs planning. It still sounds incredibly arrogant to say it out loud, but
0: um. doesn't to me. Does not to me at all. Keep saying it. Look, Muhammad Ali famously said. You know, you got asked by Howard Cosell, "Why do you keep calling yourself the greatest?" He said, "Well, because if I don't tell people, how are they going to know?"
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: <laughs> so tell them. Tell me.
1: <laughs> so yeah. So you know, and and with 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 special needs planning, my intent is not to be another financial advisor telling people how much money they need to save for retirement, or this is how much life insurance you need, and I don't want to be an attorney saying this is why you need a special needs trust or making sure you get your. Um, whatever other stuff they do, right? And that's not fair to the attorneys. They do a ton, of, but instead, I want to help families who are where I was, you know, eight years ago. Going, holy shit, what the fuck do I do now? In a perfect world, I'm catching them before they get there. But the reality is, as parents, we're overwhelmed and we're reactive. So you you tend to run from pain, and you don't take action until pain until until it's painful enough to push you over that threshold. Well, when I, when I hit that threshold and I'm looking for people, I wanted somebody to say, Eric, chill out. This is what you have to do. Here's a checklist of what, and because I'm, a, I'm that kind of guy, here's a checklist of what you need to do. Here's how you do it. Keywords, tricky phrases to think about, right? You know, and this is what you can expect. I'm not going to do it for you, but this is what you can expect. I don't want, well, okay. Sometimes I want people to do things for me, but if I can't get that, the next best thing is getting a very clear outline. Here's what you need to do, right? So that's what I'm bringing to the table for families. Hey, I've been in your shoes. I'm a widowed, disabled vet, my, um, you know, cancer survivor. My son has disabilities. You're not going to tell me anything that's going to shock me or that I haven't lived through in some way, shape or form. Let me help you.
0: So I just want to make sure I fully uh, consume and process this transaction. (laughs) So you're a person for whom, Eric, it would uh, be hard not to say, has uh, had to suffer and endure things that we would want nobody to suffer and endure. We would never want somebody who stood up for our country Who went to some of the most dangerous places in the world doing some pretty gnarly shit. Someone who we have to thank because um, some people are confused in this country. I am not one of them. Freedom is not free. Freedom is not free. And the reason I get to walk down the street and enjoy the life that I get to enjoy is because you and your sisters and brothers do what you do. Because there's a lot of people who don't want us to be here and would harm us. And um, I also love the mantra of Krav Maga, the Israeli street fighting system. And the mantra is, so we may walk in peace. That's the other thing I think some people are confused about, that I am not. Peace through strength. Through strength. So it is a terrible thing to think that a honorable patriot would commit part of their lives to serving this country and suffer an ongoing debilitating um health condition as a result then of course you have william Uh, of course i'm not a father of a disabled child but i have had disabled people around me my whole life who are close to me i have a niece who's disabled in a wheelchair who doesn't speak and so i have a sense for what families have to do you know in that situation uh and it's 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 a big big change it's a big big commitment it's a whole other level isn't it
1: yes it, it's a, it is a huge huge commitment and and i want to say i appreciate the language you you used for your niece some people will say wheelchair bound and that's not what you said you said you know you have a, a niece who is in a wheelchair and, or using a wheelchair and i just appreciate the you know you the language because i remember <laughs> Way back in your early episodes, you had shared somebody got mad at you for language. So I wanted to do a full circle and say props.
0: Well, look, uh, thank you. That's kind of you to say, Eric. And and I'm somebody for whom a lot of what most people might call political correctness, I think, is complete, absolute asinine, mamby-pamby bullshit. And it's frankly an, ex- an excuse for not being direct or an excuse for just pure stupidity. Uh, and so... When it's those things, you know, I, that's a machine I will rage against. However, there are uh, changes in language that are very powerful and important that aren't just semantics. Language creates thinking and thinking creates action. And so I believe it's a good thing that we don't call the people who live on the street what we used to call them when I was a kid, which is winos and bums. We call them homeless people. And uh, I don't know exactly when it started or who started it, but I think calling the shift from disabled to differently abled, I think that's, that's a kind thing. Uh, and I think what you might be referring to is my um, uh, idiotic use of what today we refer to is the R word. And that's as far as I'll go with that word. But I had a listener explain to me that um, that made me an asshole. He was nicer about it than that, but and I thought, you know what, I didn't, I didn't mean it in a in a negative way towards people who are dis- differently abled. Of course not, um, but it's just a word, you know, we used as kids. I hadn't thought about it. He was right, I was wrong, so I don't use that word anymore. And so I think you know, we're all trying to navigate this together. S- there's some things that are politically correct that are asinine, in my opinion, but when there are things that. Um, Really, truly hurt a, a particular group of people. Um, it's worth thinking hard about. You know,
1: yeah. no, I, I agree, Christopher. I mean, I was I chose the name Special Needs Navigator, but I, I was on the fence about that because there are people who will say that the term Special Needs is offensive, um, and that you know that they that that people shouldn't use it shouldn't use that terminology. For me, I wanted to make sure it was something that. Um, if people are searching for it, a lot of parents, that's what they're going to look for. They're going to look for special needs because you have special education. You have special needs trusts. Right. I mean, so I, I'm, I'm not doing it in a way to label an or a group. You know, I, I say my son has a disability. I acknowledge that. But I would also say that I think most of us, um, would admit that if if we're being candid, that we all have some kind of special need. I mean, I wear hearing aids, which could be considered a special need. Right. So um, I think I, I, all that to say I'm rambling, but all that to say that I agree with you there. I believe there's some of this that is too extreme political correctness. And then there's other things like the R word that, that I don't think you can take it back. Right. You can't repurpose it. Like, um, you can't take it back and use it to a positive. There's, I just don't know how you're going to put a positive spin, like they did with the word queer, right? L- LGBTQ. They've they've reclaimed queer and gay, and I don't know how you're going to do that with the art word.
0: Yeah, and look, I I just think the group that it affects deserves to be heard. You know, when I was a kid, we'd say the word fag. Yeah. Long before we knew at home, like long before I knew what homosexual was, it was just a way of, you know, if you drop the ball at third base, we said that it was like you're a dummy or you're you're a wimp or you're, you know, something along those lines. It was there's had, had I had no connotation of what that was as a kid. Right. And then, of course, as we grew up, it became very clear that you would not say that. And so we I don't I haven't said that word for, I you know. A very, very long time. And at least the dot that got connected for me is the R word is like that. So I was like, well, right. I don't say that, so I'm not going to say this either. On the other hand, you know, um, I think fuck is maybe the greatest word in the English language other than love and legendary. Uh, and so, you know, if you don't like that word, well, eh, we're probably not going to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> now, Eric, I, I guess um The thing I I think that, I mean, you have many gifts to give, of course, but I think one of them is, I think when a lot of us are faced with these situations, situations that I now call circumstances that you can't go around, so you must go through. There's no avoiding them. There's no not sitting with that anger. There's no not confronting that pain. You're driving your car and you're fine. And all of a sudden you're weeping uncontrollably and you have to pull off the highway and you don't know why. And it just fucking happened, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those things happen to us when we are forced to face unbearable uh, pain, unbearable loss. Uh, Unbearable suffering, and so you're a person for whom that you've gone through an extraordinary amount of this in a relatively short period of time. At a point in your life where you thought it was all coming together, I'm going to leave the military. I've had a great career. I'm sure you're proud of many of the things that you achieved, and the relationships and experiences, and you served our country. Uh, And here you are moving forward in your life with your wife and trying to create a new page in your a new chapter in your life. And from that moment on it's been eight years of this, right?
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: And here you are at the very front end of your own category design, your own creation of your own new work. And so as you look back over the last eight years, a few months now into your new self-created self designed career and, 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 and niche,
1: you know, what are the big
0: learnings? What would you share with me about how to navigate this shit?
1: That's a really good question. I think the first thing I would say, and this is definitely going to be a uh, do as I say, not as I do, but don't try to do it alone. Um, you know, I was um, and still I'm guilty of I'm a macho dude. I don't need anybody, um, you know, and, and I, uh, you know, I, I lean heavily on my girlfriend now. But, um, you know, eight years ago, I didn't have a girlfriend as you know, as you're want not to do when you're married. <laughs>
0: Generally frowned upon could lead to problems.
1: So, and, you I know, know I, guys who
0: do it, but <laughs> <laughs> normally comes at a big cost. So I, um... by the way, that reminds me of a great joke by one of my favorite comedians, Ron White. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he says, you know, one of the great things about making love to your wife <laughs> you can't get caught
1: <laughs> Truth, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but i completely digress so today <laughs> yes you have very big shoulders but um you lean on your girlfriend in a way right. that um you didn't lean on people originally
1: no i i kept it bottled in and then, and then it would shockingly blow up at the worst possible time right and I would take it out on people that I had absolutely no reason for me to take it out on. So, you know, try to build a team or a tribe or, or whatever you call it, but try to build a group of people. And I keep my circle pretty small. So you don't have to, I, I, I would argue um, you, the larger it is, the more diffused it's probably going to be. So, you know, maybe get a couple of really tight people that you can really, really, you know, you can really trust. And um, the other thing is, so that just just like I didn't know, um, I didn't know I could go ahead and start a category. Right? I was looking for somebody else to, to 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 do it for me, so I could plug in and just once in my life have something fucking easy. <laughs> but you know, Christopher, if it's easy, it's probably not worth it. And maybe this is just my life, but that's just how I feel now.
0: <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. Well, Eric, I um I can't thank you enough for reaching out. I will never forget the day I got your um your email. And I read it li- like I told you multiple times, and I read it to my wife, Carrie. And um and I just want you to know. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for being the warrior that you are in life, and the dad that you are for William. And uh, I'm sure Christine is very proud of both of you.
1: That means a lot, Christopher. Thank you. I um, I mean, full transparency. I wrote that e- that message to you not thinking it was going to get read. <laughs> Full transparency. Um, I just... I, I, I needed to, it. I made a promise to myself after my wife died, after Christine died, that I was never going to leave something unsaid if I had the ability to say it. Because there was a lot of shit that I'm going to live with that my wife and I were never able to put... Uh, put put aside um good and bad right i mean i don't want to make it sound like everything's horrible but that's the other lesson i would leave leave you with is if there's something that you think and you're this probably doesn't apply to you but if there's something you you are thinking you should say to somebody just fucking say it you know you don't know that they're going to be there tomorrow to, to hear it and, and I mean, you come across from what I—I I mean, I don't know you. I just—I you know—hear you on on the other side of the podcast. I've read your books, but you—you you don't strike me as being the kind of guy that has a problem with that. I—I um, I am, and I was. Um, I'm getting better. Something I'm actively working towards. And and the opportunity to to talk with you like this has been freaking phenomenal, dude. I just can't begin to put it into words. I mean, just wow. I mean, you know, you're you're a legend. And I, I just <laughs> fucking a,
0: <laughs> well, I think you're a legend. That's kind of you to say, thank you, Eric. And I think you're a legend. And I think if you wanted to, I don't, I don't, don't hear this as a should or a would or any of that sort of stuff. But if you wanted to, there's a book sitting here and I know you're podcasting now, right? Yeah. And uh, you're starting to share a lot. And, That's the other thing I love about what you're doing, Eric, and I I realized this a while after, uh, after Tushar was murdered, and that was that a horrible experience like that equips you with a set of tools and gives you a place to stand that heretofore you did not have that place to stand. I remember at one point, not long after, after he was murdered, where I thought I was going to stop podcasting and writing and just, I had this strong need to retreat and I felt very exposed in the world and vulnerable. Um, And I remember talking to um, Mike Flynn, the podcaster and entrepreneur and author. He's a deeply, deeply religious man, wonderful man. And I was sharing that with him like, I never wanted to be a public person and this I don't I don't like being in the world and this big retreat and he said to me that's the evil talking wow and as a religious man he said to me god gave you this platform you should use it and so that's a long way of saying to you maybe what I admire Eric the most about who you are is it's natural. It's understandable for human beings when their heart and soul have been shattered to be broken and to stay broken. There've been many points I've wanted to stay broken. And somewhere along the line, you said, okay, maybe, maybe not. And you've used your experience as a platform for creation for creating something for you and for others, and that is fucking inspiring, Eric.
1: I'm not sure what to say, Christopher. Thank you. Is
0: there anything else you'd like to touch on before we wrap, brother?
1: No, I mean this opportunity that you gave me um and and more importantly the the way you you heard my story um i i haven't shared that much in one time in a very long time and it means a lot i really appreciate it
0: well it means a lot that you took the time to write that email and um and that you were willing to spare, s- spend this time with me um today and i'm i'm glad that uh i'm glad you are where you are i'm glad where william is where he is it's it's wonderful news on all fronts And um, I can't wait to continue to hear um, how things play out for you in your new adventure.
1: I'm going to have an empire. (laughs) 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 Thank you, brother. (laughs) Take care, Christopher.
0: (laughs) You too. Well, there he is, the legendary Eric Jorgensen. And uh, I sure hoped you enjoyed this conversation. And um, I sure hope you share it because I know this conversation with Eric is going to make a gigantic difference to many, many, many people. And also make sure you are subscribed on whatever podcast uh, listening platform you're listening to to this podcast to make sure you get our next episodes. Now to succeed today, you need every possible advantage, and that's where NetSuite by Oracle comes in, the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, you can manage every penny with precision. As as a matter of fact, businesses running NetSuite report cost savings of 50% or more over the cost of running old on-premise systems. NetSuite eliminates costly upgrades, expensive infrastructure, <laughs> and onerous maintenance. With NetSuite, you get built-in dashboards and reporting that provides you with summary and detailed views of finance sales and service performance everything you need to run your business in the cloud visit netsuite.com different today that's netsuite.com different where you can set up your free product tour now, in challenging times, legendary organizations turn data into doing, and that's where Splunk comes in. They're the leaders in data to everything, bringing data to every question, every decision, and every action in a scalable, reliable data platform for investigating, monitoring, analyzing and acting on data visit my friends at splunk at dot com slash d the number two the letter e and learn how to turn data into doing that's splunk.com slash d to e my friends at otranet have been building legendary b2b websites in silicon valley for over 20 years check out n e t today my friends at spiro are the leaders in proactive relationship management learn how to turn the power of machine learning and ai into selling and closing business at spiro.ai today. And my friends at bottleneck.online are the leaders in distant assistance. They've been physically distancing before that was even a thing. Visit bottleneck.online today. All right. We would like to thank, of course, our guest today, the legendary Eric Jorgensen. You can find him on the internet at specialneedsnavigator.us. That's specialneedsnavigator.us. Dot us, and uh, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're in marketing, if you want to increase your revenue, or you want to design a category, why not check out Lockhead on Marketing wherever you get legendary oddcasts? My friends at One Life Fully Live are the nonprofit helping people dream, live, plan, and dream their best life. If you're looking for a charity to uh, make a difference in some of our most underserved communities, check out the number one LifeFullyLive dot org and. If you can help our food banks, our homeless shelters, faith-based organizations, or any other organization that you care about that is caring for people today, why not dig into your wallet? Need to remind you that today's podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that this oddcast clearly is created in a studio that does contain nuts, and the creators of this podcast were most likely most certainly consuming libations. We are produced and edited by the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. Uh, You can check his podcast out. It's called Grumpy Old Geeks. It's amazing. Technical awesomeness and Lockhead.com built by Jamie J. and Sarah Knox. And when you go to Lockhead.com, sign up for our newsletter. We've got some big news coming soon. Show notes by Diane Gervasio. Remember to listen to Katie Lang. Tom Waits was right. Don't be lame, get out of the passing lane Remember that podcasts make Legendary gifts, so spread podcasts Not viruses If you uh, must send us an email Send it to blackhole, all one word At lockhead.com, that's blackhole At lockhead.com Thank you Candy Dandy, she keeps all the trains running on time I love you mom and dad And hey Colin, this oddcast really ties the room Together doesn't it Today our deepest apologies go to Carson Sweet CEO of Cloud Passage Sorry Carsey We just ran out of time for you. That's it. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with us. Uh, Please stay healthy, stay safe, and stay legendary. And, of course, till we're together again, follow your different.